Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. I'm going to take this reading and it comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I'm reading from the human special version. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. Then Herod called Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Judah, they returned to their country by another route, the servant of the Lord. Thanks, Micah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the stories, the, the scripture we have that tell us about the, the birth of Christ. Today is an unusual story, Lord. And, uh, but we just thank you, though, for those people who trekked many, many miles to see you, to see the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, I pray that you would... We invite you today by your spirit to encourage us, to enliven us, to fill us with your joy, help us to hear your word, help it to fill our hearts and direct our actions in our minds, help us to enter into this Christmas season with real joy and real hope. May comfort us, those who are mourning, those who are suffering at this time, those who have memories of Christmases that are not so pleasant for those who are missing May you comfort us at this time with the knowledge that uh, the King of Kings is with us and that he is drawing us to the conclusion of history where we will be with him and where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you... um if you've ever been given 
socks or jocks or undies as a Christmas gift, then you'll know that they really don't, uh, they're not really gifts that, that, that give you much joy or don't give you a sort of, you know, you don't see people having those sorts of things and uh, expressing tears of joy at Christmas time. Well, I don't anyway. One of the reasons that people give socks and undies and handkerchiefs often is because they're unsure what to buy people. In fact, I found a website this week that gives some ideas about gifts for people who are difficult to buy for or for people who seemingly already have everything. And here are a few items that uh, struck my struck me or caught my attention this week. For the jet-setting world traveller who already has all the clothing necessary for overlanding the Sahara Desert or for trekking, trekking up to Machu Picchu, then I'm sure that this gift will excite you or them. This Christmas, it's a scratch-off world map and it will help them to mark off all the places that they've been. There's a hint for you, Wendy, in case you haven't got my present yet. And for those who have uh, got people in their family who frown upon the giving or receiving of any gifts at Christmas due to the burden that they place on the environment, then the graphite pencil pack with a built-in seed pod at the end might be just the perfect gift for them to raise the levels of joy. When the pencil is actually worn down to a, a stub, you can plant this pencil and then water it and then eventually it will shoot and sprout these edible green sprouts that you can add to your salad on perhaps even Christmas Day. For the wordsmiths in your family who have the latest books or who are very fussy readers, then there's the Shakespearean insult mug. This might make a perfect gift for those in your family who, um, who do insult, and it will truly make their insults erudite in the coming year, and perhaps even more palatable. And last but not least, for the adventurous souls who love the romance of an open fire, but also the comforts of their own home, there is the tabletop fire pit, which is a perfect gift for those who want to toast marshmallows on the table. Buying gifts for family and friends, I think, can be a major stress at Christmas time, particularly when you're buying uh, for people who have had many, many Christmas experiences. It's not hard, is it, buying a gift for a six-year-old child because any, any present that you give a six-year-old child will actually make them giddy. Just seeing it will make them giddy and raise the excitement levels in them. But it's hard. But the older you get and the more Christmases that you've experienced, the harder it is, isn't it, to lift the joy levels and the excitement levels at Christmas time. I can see that in your faces this morning already. Except for George. But even the, an exquisite gift, like the scratch-off world map, which I'm getting, <laughs> given with special thought, they actually won't... Unfortunately, I already know, they won't offer lasting joy, even though they might be fun on the day. As I've read through the stories about the birth of Jesus in the past week, I've noticed something that stood out to me about the people who were there at the birth of Jesus, that they all shared one 
general thing in common. And that was they experienced great joy at the birth of Christ. Mary experienced great joy about what God had done and she expressed that through this magnificent song. You can read about that in the Gospels. The angels came. Actually, they came with this message of great joy and a message of great joy for all people. And this message and also the sight of the baby actually caused them to sort of break into this great singing in heaven. It also impacted some tough, burly sort of shepherds who, after seeing Jesus, went out and told everyone they met with glee what God has done. Also, Simeon, a priest, and Anna, a priestess in the temple in Jerusalem, they rejoiced when they saw Jesus in the the arms of Mary because they recognized in him, they recognized him to be the one whom Israel had been longing, longing for. And so what struck me afresh this week is no earthly gift or no earthly experience at Christmas time, no matter how grand, can match the sort of joy that they experienced. Definitely not socks or jocks or handkerchiefs, but also not even the Shakespearean insult mug or the scratch-off map, or even the, fire, the tabletop fire pit will do the job. So perhaps, like me, you're wondering today, where is your joy this Christmas? Joy is actually a universal desire. Often, however, we settle for stints of happiness and momentary experiences of pleasure instead of actually for the real thing. We expect a lot from Christmas actually in regard to the joy stakes. But it's, it's hard. It's harder to find joy at Christmas time because often we're looking to the wrong things and in the wrong places for them to give us joy. We look to gifts, to food, to family, to friends, to do the heavy lifting at Christmas time in regard to joy. But let's face it. Once you've hit six years of age, it takes a really, really big gift, even a novel gift, to get you leaping off the couch with a smile on your face. Doesn't it, George? Perhaps you're here today and you can't remember the last time that you actually experienced a sense of deep joy at Christmas time. Or for that matter, you can't remember a time in your own life going so far back that you can't actually remember a sense of joy. If that is the case, then I really believe that God has something to say to you this morning to help you recover that sense of joy and that sense of wonder at the birth of Jesus so that it actually invigorates you and it sustains you and becomes an infectious part of you that others can encounter as well. Joy is a hard word to describe, isn't it? Happiness doesn't do justice to it. Joy in the New Testament is not not fleeting. It's not a fleeting happiness, but it's this deep contentment, a gladness, an exuberance, a confidence in what God has done to reverse people's fortunes. And I think the story of the Magi 
visiting Jesus is a story that can help us recover our sense of joy and ensure that it continues to mark our lives from this day on. I want this day to be a significant day for you that joy would mark your life from this day on if it doesn't already. And if you need to recover that joy, then today I want this day to be a significant day for that in your life. Even for the cynics amongst us this morning. The story of the Magi who come to worship Jesus in Bethlehem is a really well-known Christmas story. It's probably one of the most well-known stories. And it's a great story, even known by people who don't consider themselves religious. It's, uh, it's, um, you often see the Magi's images in, in shop front windows, don't you, bearing gifts. <laughs> Cynically, it's because they want you to uh, want to promote gift giving, perhaps. But I think the story has more to say about what the Magi receive from Jesus than what they actually bring to him this morning. The Magi story is unusual. In fact, if you actually think about it, reflect on it, you'll actually wonder yourself, well, I wonder why Matthew included that story. It's a bit sort of out, outside the box. But he included it for some really, really important reasons. And the first thing we need to notice about the story of the Magi who come seeking Jesus, the king, is that they're not from Israel, these guys. We don't know. They could be girls as well. And they're not Jews either. The Magi Magi actually means people from the east, people who have eastern ways. And so they're most likely Babylonians or Persians. And so the word Magi actually uh, infers that they are people who get their guidance from the stars. Okay, something which every Jew who would have heard this story uh, would have gasped in horror as they read it. Because seeking, seeking uh, sort of signs or seeking guidance from the stars was not a thing that Jews did. But Matthew has good reason for mentioning that the Magi are the first people who come and worship the newborn king. You see, he wants, wants his readers to get the fact that Jesus is a universal king. You see, he wants his readers to know that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of all kings, the king of all nations, the king of people from all religions. And we know this because elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, Matthew includes other incidents in which foreigners, people outside of the usual sort of uh, outside of, the, outside of the, uh, the usual community, they're the first ones who pick up on, G- on who Jesus really is and they become the first ones to worship him, even ahead of the Jews. And so the directness also of the Magi is breathtaking. They're obviously people of great, some, some, some great influence and also wealth because when they arrive in Jerusalem, guess what? they get an audience with King Herod straight away. King Herod was the, was the king, the ruler of Judea. And then they also said to him straight up, without trembling or quivering, they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. This question is shocking for a number of reasons. And it would have made King Herod and his staff 
all choke, I think, on their Wheaties that, on their Wheaties that morning. Can you imagine it? But we need to listen carefully to what they asked Herod. They don't say, oh, we've come to worship the one who will be the king in the future when you've fulfilled all your kingly duties, Herod, and when you're dead and gone and buried. No. They say, we've come to worship the one who has been born king, meaning the one who's already king, which for someone who is king like Herod, it would have been quite, they're they're fighting words, aren't they? That would have been quite a threat. And obviously Herod is threatened by these words, but he's a very, very shrewd political operator. And instead of, you know, cracking a wobbly, becoming furious, he asks them to tell him where the king, when they find the king, this, new, this, king who has been, this person who's been born king, when they find him, to come and tell him so that, wink, wink, he can go and worship him as well. And so once the Magi leave Herod's presence, Herod immediately calls in his advisors. He calls in the Jewish high priest. He calls in the Jewish scribes and all the teachers. And he asks them, hey, guys, how come I didn't know this? It's happened on his throne, I can imagine. Where is this Messiah going to be born? Where is he born? And quickly, in unison, they replied, he is born in Bethlehem for this is what the, pro- the prophets have written. So here we have several different responses to God's announcement that the true king has been born. And we need to hear the irony in Matthew's story here. You see, we have this group of magi, a group of stargazing magicians from Babylon or Persia who have seen a great sign in the sky that indicates that a king has been born and that his birth is so significant, so world-changing, so life-altering that they're willing to set out on a journey of thousands of kilometres on foot to go and see him and worship him. At the very least, it was probably a journey of a 1,000 kilometres because that's the journey from Bethlehem to to, uh, Babylon or Baghdad as as it's known today. But if they'd come from Persia, the distance could have been even double that and would have taken several months. Another response is that of King Herod and the Jewish high priests and the Jewish scholars who actually only lived 10 kilometres away from Bethlehem, less than two hours' walk. And so it's easy for us to understand Herod's response to the news that a king has been born. You see, Herod was not a Jew by birth, and he'd been installed as king of Judea by the Romans. But his interest in the birth of Jesus, the birth of the new king, is actually purely selfish. But it's actually harder, I think, for us to understand the, uh, the Jewish high priest and the Jewish scholars and teachers, their response. Because, you see, they knew the prophecies which said to them that the king or the Messiah would actually be born in Bethlehem but they did nothing themselves to inquire about those prophecies. In Micah 5.2, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, it was prophesied, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come, 
out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You see, they knew exactly where the king would be born. And yet, even after being prompted by the arrival of the Magi and also by King Herod to look into the birth location, they couldn't even be bothered to walk a distance of 10 kilometers to find out, as it, to find out if it had actually even happened. These three responses of the Magi, Herod, and Jewish, the Jewish teachers, I think can resemble our own response to the story of Jesus' birth at Christmas time. You see, Herod was interested in the birth of Jesus only in as much as it impacted him. He wanted, to, he wanted to know about the new king's birth location so that he could eliminate him because he was a threat to his own kingship. You see, the news of another king, a real king, was threatening to him. And so today, many people might not have the idea of killing off Jesus, but they want to kill off his claim of sovereignty over their lives by watering down the story of God coming into the world in Christ so that they can remain complete rulers of their own lives. But the true story, the true message of Christmas is not a cute and cuddly baby. It's really a subversive story. You see, we often dress Christmas, the Christmas story up with homely language to make it more digestible, but it's actually a really political message. You see, if, if a true and universal king is born, it means that we are to worship him. The birth of a true and universal king challenges every other claim to kingship and sovereignty in our lives. But it's not just earthly rulers who are threatened by the news of the king's birth. You see, su such news strikes at the very core, at the very heart of our own existence, because the birth of a true king means essentially the, de the, de the dethronement of every other wannabe king in our lives, including our own selves. The news of the birth of the king demands that we either worship him and submit to him or we kill him off so that we can continue to remain on the throne of our own lives. But there's no joy. There's no joy for those who want to be king, friends. There's only fear of finding out in the end that you really are an imposter in that role. Another reason or another response to the news of the birth of the king was that of the Jewish leaders. And so they already knew so much about the king who would be born. You see, they already knew uh, where he would be born. After all, their scriptures spoke about him. It seems that the Jewish leaders' problems was not that they didn't know enough. but they were saturated in knowledge and they didn't apply it to their lives. Instead, they focused on putting a hedge around God and protecting him from others. And they also 
gave themselves over to controlling religious habits and rituals with unbearable laws, which only deadened their longing and expectancy for the arrival of a new king. That's why they didn't walk 10 kilometres to find out, because they were sort of apathetic and bored with it. Essentially, the Jews forgot or ignored the benefits of the new king and the benefits he brings. You see, they were like people who were actually invited to this delicious, glorious banquet, but had filled themselves up beforehand on cheap fizzy and junk food. So even when prompted by the news about the arrival of the true king, they were unmoved and too apathetic to seek to know him themselves. And friends, I think this is actually a state that many Christians can actually find themselves in today. And unfortunately, it results in a joyless and lifeless Christianity. And here lies the irony of the story. You see, it's actually the Magi, the people from the East, the foreigners, the worship of other gods, the users of magical methods for discernment, people who have actually no scriptures of their own, people moved by a sign that God has actually placed in the sky, people who follow a star and walk thousands of kilometres across desert, through forest, across rivers, and through countries ruled by bandits and foreigners and animals who came to seek the true king. And when they found him, they were overwhelmed with joy and they worshipped him. Friends, it's the Magi's response to the birth of Jesus, the king that we need to have this Christmas. And maybe you identify, if you're honest this morning, with Herod, not willing to acknowledge that there is another king who has authority over your life. This is a form of self-protection, which always means that you live in fear and never experience the overwhelming joy of the Magi. There might be moments of fleeting pleasure and happiness, but not a lasting, deep joy as we see in the Magi. Perhaps you're moved, or perhaps you're more like the Jewish scribes and teachers in the story. Like them, you already know the Christmas story. You know each character in the story, but the story has become so familiar to you that you have no expectancy of experiencing joy this Christmas. Just more routine and more rituals. So what can be done? How can you enter this Christmas and the year of 2023 so that you are really impacted by the news of the birth of a king, which we've been singing about, by the birth of the king of kings, so that you experience a deep, ongoing joy that doesn't evaporate by the situations and experiences that you are going to face in the coming year. What can we learn here that will enable us to have a lasting deep joy like the Magi, like the shepherds, like Mary, and like others? First, I think we need to be open to God speaking to us afresh to remind us the reason why Jesus means mega joy for all people. You see, the Magi didn't have the revelation of Scripture available to them in which God reveals his plans, but they were still a spiritually sensitive people, open and longing for truth. 
I'm not suggesting that you start reading the stars or reading the tea leaves in the morning. Because we have scripture which clearly tells us about our human predicament but also about God's solution to that predicament. But the joy that we are to experience is not from seeing a cute baby. The joy of Christmas comes from understanding what the birth of the king actually means for you and I. It comes from grasping the benefits that Jesus' Jesus' birth brings. You see, the Magi saw in the stars a message which caused them to believe that the one who is being born would actually affect and impact the world in a profound way. They couldn't actually explain it, but they just knew that this this sign in the sky meant something so profound and so life-changing that they had to go and find out what it was. And so it made them cross land and sea to find him. And when they found him, they worshipped him when they encountered him. And this resulted in an overwhelming sense of joy. But friends, how much more joy there is today for those who can know more fully the significance of Jesus' birth. And so you can actually know the benefits that come through his birth. Because we can actually read about them in plain language in the Bible. We don't have to interpret them through reading the stars. The birth of Jesus the King means these things. Let me just, click, let me just spell them out to you. It means profoundly that God has come to dwell with us and to meet us where we're at. So this act of God is astounding. He, he didn't stand aloof, but came to us in a way that we can actually comprehend. But the birth of the king also shows God active, acting decisively to reverse the curse of sin and shame that is all people's experience since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. The birth of the king is also the first concrete action of God to restore our fellowship with him. And the birth of Jesus is also the first shot across the bow in the defeat of evil, which we all know so well is so prevalent in our world. And it's also the first step in conquering death and giving to people eternal life. You see, this is why all these people who experienced encountered the baby Jesus, were actually overwhelmed with joy. You see, his birth leads to the reversal of our fortunes. His arrival marks the change of our destiny. Friends, to experience deep joy about the birth of Jesus this Christmas, instead of just having another ho-hum experience, you will need to seek Jesus like the Magi. But you don't have to walk a thousand kilometers across desert and stream in order to find him. You don't even have to search the stars at night for a sign. You don't even have to physically see him as a baby because God in his great mercy has sent him actually to search for you and he, is, and he reveals himself to us through his scripture and through his spirit to enable us to experience deep, lasting joy. But in order to experience joy like the Magi, 
You need to worship him. This is what the Magi did. It's what the shepherds did and the angels and Mary. You need to admit that he is the king and you are not. You need to bow your knee and your heart. You need to step off the throne of your life, something that Herod was unwilling to do, and you need to offer yourselves as a living gift to him for his glory and for his purposes. You see, this is another strong theme in Matthew's Gospel. In many ways, peace, joy and hope are actually counterintuitive in the Gospels. They're counterintuitive in life. You see, we can't experience we can't experience those things actually by grasping for them and seeking them and to achieve them through our own effort. Though that's what we spend our time doing, which is often why, why we're so disappointed. But it's not the way that Jesus or his kingdom works. In Matthew 10 and in Matthew 16, Jesus says to his followers very clearly, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He also says to find the true treasure, the pearl of great price, you need to give over the rights of your life to him. And so to experience joy, overwhelming contentment and gladness that makes you wobbly at the knees and giddy with glee, you must seek the true king and give yourself to him in worship. Friends, don't allow this Christmas to be just another experience of chasing happiness. Don't be like King Herod or the Jewish scribes and teachers who knew about the true king and knew exactly where he was born, but who were too apathetic themselves to go and worship him. Instead, remind yourselves of the huge benefits that Jesus the king brings to you and to us and to our world. We see the Magi going to worship Jesus and bearing gifts. They offered the most costly things that they could imagine. What they didn't realise was that they would actually leave with a gift more valuable, more profound and longer lasting. And this is, this, their lives were marked by an overwhelming joy, as it says. I want to invite the band up as we sing our last song. Let, let, that, let joy, let overwhelming joy be the gift that you accept from Jesus today. That's what he wants to give you. That's what he wants to fill your life with. Are you ready to accept that? As we sing our final song, Joy to the World, let Jesus offer to you the offer of joy to wash over you and to wash through you. And I want to encourage you with courage, bow your hearts to him in worship and experience this joy. And his benefits are what will bring you joy and I want to encourage you to embrace them and rejoice in them. As the lines of this song sing, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, friends.
joy to you this Christmas. Thanks, Perry.